Well, church, if you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll open to the book of Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. This morning, we are beginning today a new uh, sermon series, series of messages on the subject of, of evangelism, of sharing our faith and I don't know about you, but if you if you grew up in the church as as I did, we heard a lot about the need for for sharing our faith. Um, but many times it seemed like the subject of evangelism was cloaked in a a serious helping of guilt. You know, you ought to be telling people about Jesus was kind of the way that a lot of it uh, came across, whether that was intentional uh, or not. But I've, I've found this in my life. I don't know if this is true for you or not, but for me, it seems like the ought-tos in my life only get me so far. Like, I know that I ought to diet and exercise, but up to this point, that hasn't gotten me very far. I, I know that I ought to drive the speed limit. I ought to You just go on and on with the things that we ought to do. And, and guilt is a motivator, it's just a pretty poor one at the end of the day. There's something greater, I believe, uh, that should motivate us in sharing our faith, in this whole idea of evangelism, of, of, of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and that's really gratitude. Guilt will get you so far, but gratitude will take you the whole way. If you truly understand what Christ has done for you, you can't help but share about him and who he is. And so we're starting this new series today called Two Ways to Live. It will be uh, walking through together an evangelism training uh, called Two Ways to Live that I really, really enjoy. Um, basically, here's what we're going to do over the next seven weeks together. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the fact that in order for us to share the gospel, we've got to begin in this place. Here's where we're going today. We've got to begin in this place of developing a heart for lost people. If you really want to share the gospel and see people come to Christ, it begins by loving lost people. And that's what Luke 15 does, is it shows us the heart of somebody who loves the lost. And so we're going to be praying today, God, give us this kind of a heart. And then over the next five Sundays, we're going to be looking at a very practical and simple and conversational way of sharing our, our faith called Two Ways to Live. We're going to be walking through this together. And by the way, if you want to join us on Wednesday nights, we're going to be fleshing it out even more in our time together as adults on Wednesday nights. But uh, we're going to be learning how to share our faith because it begins with having a heart for the lost. But the next thing is I've got to know how to share my faith because I may want to do it and not know how to do it so that's where the equipping comes in that we're going to walk through over the next uh, five Sundays together. And then come the first Sunday of December, we want to set uh, before you a, a very clear and, and open opportunity to engage in these things. We're going to have a Christmas outreach event. We're going to have a big baking day on December the 1st. Those that like to come together and bake, bake Christmas cookies and candies and all those kinds of things, we're going to come together and do that on December the 1st. And we're going to package all that stuff up, and we're not going to take it home and get fat on it. We're going to send it to other people to get fat on, okay? That, 
That didn't sound very nice. But we're really going to take that, and we're going to package all that up with, with some gospel tracts and, and much prayer. On December 2nd, we're going to come together, and we're going to pray over these bags that we've put together. And we're hoping to do enough of these that every one of us in the church on that day can take a bag home with us, not for ourselves. Again, we're not going to need uh, more candy and cookies at that point, but we're going to take a bag out of this place and go out that Sunday afternoon and, and hopefully take that to someone that we've been praying for during these 50 days, during these seven weeks. I'll lay more of that out as we get toward the end today, but that's kind of where we're going over the next couple of months together, and I hope that you'll be a part of that. So Luke 15 today. How do we develop a heart for the lost? How do we learn to love lost people? Because I don't know if you remember what it was like to be lost, but a lot of lost people are difficult. And so how do we develop a heart for lost people? Let's look at Luke 15 together. We're going to read this whole chapter. I know it's lengthy, so I won't make you stand this morning, but as we honor God's Word together in just the simple reading of Scripture, I want you to hear what Jesus is doing. I want you to hear how he is laying out what it looks like to love the lost. What does it look like to have a heart for the lost here in Luke 15, beginning in verse 1? Here's the scene. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, they were all drawing near to him. They were all drawing near to Jesus. All the unpopular people, all the, all the sinners were drawing near to Jesus to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, now I know we automatically have a, a thought about Pharisees that's negative. I want you to understand that in this day, these were the popular people. This was who everybody wanted to be. Nobody wanted to be classified as tax collectors and sinners. Everybody wanted to be. The popular group were the scribes and the Pharisees, but notice their reaction to Jesus. The popular people, the Pharisees and the scribes, were grumbling against him, and they were saying, this man, this Jesus, he receives sinners and eats with them. They're spitting those words out, you can imagine. And so he told them this parable. He's going to give them three stories here to describe his heart for the lost and the heart of our Father God. So there he says, verse 4, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, he says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In verse 11, he said, very familiar story for many of us. We call this the prodigal son. There was a man. He had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Give me my inheritance, basically. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. 
And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went, and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And as he was longing, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older son, was angry. And he refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father and said, Look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you, he came, when he comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive he was lost and is found and this is the word of the lord amen let's pray together father as we look into the mirror of your holy word today I simply pray that you would give us a heart for the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. So three parables, three stories that Jesus has told to communicate the spiritual truth about the heart of our God toward the lost. we consider today what it would look like for us to have a heart for the lost as well let me just share with you I think three components three characteristics of a heart for the lost first a heart for the lost is characterized by a powerful compassion now you'll see these three elements in each of Jesus stories but I think in this story about the shepherd that leaves the 99 and goes after the one, we have to ask ourselves, what causes a man to do such a thing? 
It seems awfully risky leaving 99 sheep to go after one. What will happen to the 99 while I'm gone? He might have wondered. It seems awfully risky to go out into the wilderness where there are a variety of predators that might bring harm to the shepherd himself. What will happen to the shepherd if he goes? And yet there was something that drove the shepherd to leave the 99 and go after the one. And I think it's characterized by this powerful compassion. We don't see the word compassion until verse 20 of our text this morning, but it's all over the scriptures here in the heart of this shepherd, in the heart of this woman, and then in the heart of the father that we'll see in the third story. We think about the word compassion. And literally, the word compassion means to suffer with. If you saw years ago the movie, uh, The Passion of the Christ, that means the suffering of the Christ. The passion is his suffering. And anytime you see the letter C-O-M in front of a word, it implies the idea is with. So this is, compassion is literally the willingness to suffer with others. Compassion is not something that that we can have necessarily from a distance. This kind of compassion means being up close and personal with those who are suffering. In the case of this shepherd, he goes after the sheep that has gone astray. He goes to seek and to save that which is lost. And I believe it's the heart of compassion that drives him to do so. He steps out of the comfort zone of the sheepfold and goes out into the wilderness where the lost are. And church, I want to say to us this morning that if we're going to have a heart for the lost, we're going to have to be willing to go to where the lost are. By and large, we find ourselves in an American version of Christianity where we sit back and we wait for the lost to come to us hoping that they'll come into a church service or they'll attend a Bible study. We, we sit back and we wait for the lost to come to us where the good shepherd says, no, I'm going after the lost sheep. He's willing to have the kind of compassion that propels him to go to where the lost are. He leaves the 99 and he labors to bring home the one. And you notice the labor is not just in the leaving. It's not just in the seeking and the finding. The labor is in the fact that he takes that lost sheep and he puts it upon his shoulders and he carries it all the way home. He carries the sheep upon his shoulders. It makes me think so deeply about the fact that our Savior bore upon his broad shoulders the full weight of our sin. That the cross, everything that we had done in our going astray from God and our rebelling against our righteous God, that everything that we had done against him was placed upon the broad shoulders of our Savior at the cross and he bore it all so that he could carry us home. This is the loving compassion of our God. In Romans 9, the Apostle Paul says that God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. This verse is so important for us because it reminds us it's his mercy that saves. 
My mercy will not save anyone and neither will yours. Mercy is the ability of God himself to not give us what we deserve. We deserve his punishment. We deserve his condemnation. We deserve to be separated from him forever. But in his mercy, God refuses to give us what we truly deserve. And instead, what does God do? He shows us compassion. And in his grace, he gives us what we could never deserve. He gives us eternal life. He gives us a home with him. He gives us all the fruits of the Spirit. He gives us all of his graces, all the many good things. Every good and perfect gift comes to us from him. He is a God of compassion. So here's the question for us. If we would have a heart for the lost, are we willing to enter into the suffering of sinners? A heart for the lost will, without a doubt, get you in some messy situations. It won't always be cut and dry. It won't always be clean and tidy. Going after the lost will be costly. It will be risky. But it will also be beautiful. It will also be worth it. As we think about the heart for the lost, in Matthew 9 we see Jesus demonstrating this heart. As they gathered around him, as he taught, as he healed, as he performed miracles, he gathered crowds. And when Jesus saw the crowds, here's what he saw. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had the same word, the same compassion. He had compassion for them. He desired to enter into their suffering. Why? Because he saw them this way. He saw them harassed and helpless. Is that how we see lost people? I think sometimes we look at the lost and we expect them to rise above their situation. Well, why don't they just love Jesus? Why don't they just come to church? Why don't they just, and we can fill in the blank with all kinds of things that they ought to do, and yet we forget that the lost are harassed and helpless until the good shepherd comes after them. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And so the first part of having a heart for the lost, we must ask God to give us a powerful compassion that propels us to go where lost people are. Secondly, though, we must ask God to give us a heart for the lost that is characterized by a persistent chasing. We get to the next parable here, this woman and the, and the lost coin Having ten coins, she's lost one. This particular coin was the Greek drachma, and it was a coin that was given to a day laborer. If you went out and served in a field, if you, if you worked the fields for a day, at the end of that day, it was traditional for them to give you a drachma. That was a day, the pay for a day laborer. And so she's got ten days' wages here. No, no small amount of money, and at the same time, and not an exorbitant amount but she has these ten coins that perhaps she has saved up, and now she has lost one of them. And he says, what would you do in that situation? You would do exactly what she does. You would light the lamp and get, get out the broom and sweep and search, and you would not stop until you found it. You would engage in some persistent 
chasing. This reminds us that our God is a rewarder of the relentless. He loves the heart that does not give up. Now understand that this relentlessness, this persistence, this pressing on and endurance that we're called to in this faith is a gift of God. It's not something that we can work up in ourselves. It must be given to us by him. But he loves the heart that does not grow weary, that does not give up. Galatians chapter 6 says, Let us then not grow weary of doing good, and for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And we could pause there and think, well, why would anyone get weary in doing good because doing the best good is oftentimes the most difficult continuing to pursue the lost will prove to be greatly difficult costly and risky and all of those things but in the end you notice what it was for the shepherd and you notice what it was for this woman in the end it was worth it all the seeking and all the searching was worth it because when the lost are found well we'll get to that in just a minute when the lost are found something great comes and it makes it all worth the while so we think about this and toward the end this morning i'm going to be challenging us I think part of developing a heart for the lost, here's, here's a place we can start. We've got to begin praying for the lost. And I don't just mean just blanket prayers. I'm talking about praying for lost people that we actually know and have relationship with. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you find yourself in a place where you're going, well, I'm not sure if I know any lost people, that's a problem. That's a big problem. We, we so often, so often in our Americanized version of Christianity, we cocoon ourselves within safe, comfortable Christian circles. All of our closest friends and all the people that we hang out with uh, share our same faith, and yet we find here a God who's saying, be like this shepherd, go after the lost. Be like this woman, go after the lost. Which means we're going to have to go after them in relationship, there's going to have to be a pursuit that takes place. God is a rewarder of the relentless. If you move it over to Luke chapter 18, you find another parable where he talks about the persistent widow. This widow is going before one he calls the unjust judge. And day after day after day, she pursues this judge with her case, with her need. Day after day, she goes back to his court asking him over and over and over again. And finally, finally, this unjust judge relents and says, Fine, woman, have what you've come for so you'll quit coming to my court every day. He finally relents because of her persistence. And Jesus says, how much greater is it with God who is a just judge? How much greater is his desire to reward the relentless? You see, our persistence in prayer is not meant to bend the heart of God. It's meant to bend our hearts. It's meant to train us to see what the true treasure is. It's meant to prepare us for the answer because we could say, well, wouldn't it be fine for us to come? And one time we ask and God answers. And sometimes that's the way it works, isn't it? 
But some of you are in this place where you've been praying for a lost loved one, a friend, a family member, a coworker for years, and you haven't seen anything happen. In fact, for some of you, you're saying, it looks as if easy, this person's even been more hardened as I've been praying for them. And we grow weary and we get discouraged. But this morning, the Word of God is showing us not to give up and asking us truly, have we grown weary in a good work? Have we gotten to a place where it just seemed too costly, too risky, too difficult. The Word of God says, let's press on. Because the one who came pursuing us didn't give up. The Son of Man, Jesus said, his favorite designation of himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Why did Jesus come? It wasn't just to set before us a nice example of good character. Jesus himself says right here, why did he come? Why did the Son of God step out of heaven and step into our existence and experience everything that our existence has? He experienced our hunger, our thirst. He experienced our, our weakness and our tiredness. Every part of human experience he experienced, even all of our temptations, though he was without sin. Why did he do it? He came to seek and to save the lost to be the persistent chaser of our souls. One final element of a heart for the lost. I think it begins in that place of powerful compassion that sends us out chasing in that persistent chasing of the lost. But I think the other place where you really see somebody who has a heart for the lost is what does that birth in them? What comes out of that? We've seen the characteristics of it, but what, 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 you can often see what really is residing in somebody's heart by what comes out. And what should come out, I believe, is found at the end of the third parable. It's a proper celebration. So Jesus sets it up. At the end, this third parable, you've now got the father talking with the older son. The older son is ticked because baby boy seems to be getting a privilege that he wants for himself. What does this young little brat deserve over what I should be getting? Because I've been the faithful one. I stayed here with dad. I've been faithful in the field doing all the things that you've asked me to do. And then I come home here and hear a party going on. It's not in my honor. It's in the honor of this brat who wasted your money. But notice the Father's response. Let's start in verse 30. The older son. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the Father said, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But notice verse 32. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. This was the right response, he says. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad because your brother was dead and he is alive. He was lost and he is found. And it may sound like he's being overly dramatic here, but he wasn't because the father knew that while the son may, the younger son may have still been breathing, he was spiritually dead. 
Well, he may have thought he knew where he was, even when he ended up in the pig pen, he was utterly lost. And the father recognized that when the dead come alive and when the lost are found, the rightful response is always one of celebration. You see, God's crafted us this way in that we tend to laud that which we truly love. You, you want to see what's in somebody's heart, I've said for many years. Here's a couple places you can look. Look at their calendar. Where do they spend their time? Look at their checkbook. How do they spend their money? And then look at how they use their words. Those are three amazing indications of what truly resides in the heart of a person. And so I'd ask us this morning, what is it that we celebrate we celebrate the score of a ball game that we will remember a year from now. We celebrate a promotion at work. We celebrate the birth of a child. These are, these, none of these things are bad. None of these things are bad, but are we celebrating the kinds of things that our God celebrates? Are we demonstrating the kind of heart that he has? Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, it's a good reminder for us. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things that we show honor to, the things that we talk about, the things that we post and share on social media, these tend to demonstrate what truly resides in our heart. And are we asking this morning, God, give us a heart like yours. Teach us to celebrate what you celebrate. Teach us to get excited about what you get excited about because you said it before, it's right here. It's not complicated. We don't have to wonder about it. It's right here in front of us. The question that remains is this. Church, will we join in the joy of heaven or will we not? Will we allow all of our excitement to reside upon things that will not matter five years from now? Or will we truly, truly be excited by the things that will be eternal. You see, that's what God gets excited about. We see it here. At the end of the, the parable of the, the good shepherd, he says, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That's what heaven gets excited about. Again, verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is what God celebrates. And finally, he says to the son once again, Son, listen. It was fitting. It was right. It was proper. This is what we had to do. We had to celebrate. This is the right thing to celebrate the fact that the dead are alive and the lost been found to do anything less would be wrong and so what are we celebrating church I think oftentimes our lack of celebration when it comes to these grand truths of the dead being made alive and the lost being found. I think, I think oftentimes our lack of celebration comes from this. 
we have forgotten how great our rescue truly was. How little do we remember what it was like to be lost, dead in our sins? How little do we remember the reality of 2 Corinthians chapter 4? The Apostle Paul writes, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, in the in their case, the God of this world, and it's small g there, he's referring to Satan here. The God of this world, Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ who is the image of God. And so while there might be a tendency, especially for those of us who maybe grew up in the church or who have been with Jesus for the better part of our lives, there might be a tendency for us to look at lost folks and say, why don't they get this whole deal about Jesus? Why can't they see how much they need him? Why don't they just come and put their faith in him? Because they can't. Do you see it? Right here in the scriptures, their eyes have been blinded. They can't see Christ. Their ears have been stopped up. They can't hear his word. Their hearts are stone cold hard against the things of God. And they need a heart transplant. And only God can open the blind eyes and the deaf ears and change the heart of stone into the heart of flesh. And that's what he did for you if you belong to him. But how easily we forget. How easily we forget what it was like to be lost. I want you to see in the parable of the prodigal son there are two types of lostness. There's the kind of lostness that is utterly apparent, dude in the pig pen kind of lostness. There's no lower place for a good Jewish boy to be than in a pig pen longing for the pig slop. That's the bottom of the barrel. That dude knows he's got issues. But you see, there's another kind of lostness. It's the lostness where you don't know that you're lost. It's the lostness of the older son. You see, there wasn't just one prodigal son who was far from the heart of the father. There were two one realized it. We don't know what happened with the other. We're left with a cliffhanger. The older son who represents good church-going folks who've always done all the right things, dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, checked off every list. But at the end of the day, the reality for both sons, the one in the pig pen and the one in the fields, was very much the same. Until their eyes were opened, they didn't realize their need. Until their ears were unstopped, they didn't hear the voice of the Father. Until their hearts were rescued from that stone-cold place and transformed into hearts of flesh that began to beat to the rhythm of the heart of the Father. They didn't recognize their needs. They were blind and deaf and unable to do anything about their condition. What I'm saying to us is this. You can be just as lost 
in the church house on Sunday morning as you can be in the bar on Friday night. Let me say that again because I know it's shocking to us because a lot of us, we've been in the church so long, I think we've got this all figured out. You can be just as lost in the church house on Sunday morning as you can be in the bar on Friday night. And in fact, here's the deal. Perhaps the one in the bar on Friday night has an advantage over the one in the church house because perhaps in that place, in the pig pen of his existence, perhaps he'll recognize what the other never will because you see the other one is self-deceived. He thinks he's got it all together. He thinks he's done everything that he's supposed to do, but at the end of the day, he no more knows the heart of the father than his younger brother did. So we pray, God, help us. How do I know if I truly belong to him or not? Are you growing in love for the things that he loves? It's right here before us. He loves the lost. Not just in an out there arm's length kind of way, up close and personal, pursuing them in love. So where does that begin? I think in order for us to develop a heart for the lost, it's got to begin in this place. We've got to begin to pray intentionally for lost people. I'm talking by name. And I know what we do. But the only verse anybody seems to know in the New Testament anymore is judge not lest you be judged. And we easily cross into this, what we call a sweet little place where we think, well, I would never want to say that somebody's lost. Well, Jesus certainly does. So as his followers, we ought to know. We're not judging eternal destination. We're simply looking at the fruit in people's lives. And we want to pray, God, do for them what you did for me. First, you've got to be reminded of what he did for you. See his compassion for you and let that same compassion start to eke out of you into the lives of others. That persistent chasing. Praying for the lost. Here's what I want to encourage us to do this morning. We're going to probably get out fairly early today. That's your gift from your pastor today. But I want us to make use of some time here this morning. Around the room we've got four stations Two high top tables here, missions counter, and the grow corner. And you're going to find there at those two stations a couple of cards. There's a long skinny card and there's a short rectangular card. Let me get these out here where you can see what I'm talking about. The long skinny card, the bookmark looking card, is for you to take home with you. On one side, it's got seven ways to pray for the lost. There's many other ways, by the way. In fact, if you're wanting to have more, uh, learn more about how to pray for lost people, there's a yellow book over here on the grow corner. You can take that home with you. It's called Praying for the Lost. Excellent book, by the way, and not a long book. Another, another good little book that we've come across. But here's seven ways to pray for the lost. On the flip side, here's the commitment I want to encourage you to make today. 
I'm calling it for five for 50. We're going to be in this series for about 50 days, including today and all the way up to December the 2nd. Five for 50 challenge is this. I commit to praying over the next 50 days for these five lost folks that God has located in my life and watching for opportunities to share the gospel with them. I'm not even saying that your commitment is to share the gospel with them just yet. We're going to be equipped to do that over the next five or six weeks, and then we want to give you an opportunity to do that. But we, we just want to say for now, it's just watch and pray. It's pray for these folks, follow some scriptural precedents on how to pray for them, and look for opportunities to engage them in spiritual conversations, to actually talk with them about Jesus and your faith in him. You may not know where to begin with that. Come back over the next five weeks. We're going to learn together how to share our faith in what I believe are some simple, practical, conversational ways where we get the gospel in front of folks that need to hear it. So this card's for you. Take it home, stick it in your Bible, whatever you want to do with it. Don't lose it. This is your reminder and guide uh, for praying. But this card, I want to encourage you to turn in. This little postcard type card. It's got a, this little crown on the front. You'll understand more about what the crown means as we walk through two ways to live in the coming weeks. But the commitment is this. I will pray for the lost and watch for potential opportunities to share the gospel with them. And just that you would sign your name at the bottom of that card. And then on the back is that same commitment. Five lost people for the next 50 days, just praying for them. Let's not get all legalistic. Some people are going to go, do I have to pray for all five every day? Can I do one? I, I don't care how you do this. That's not what's important. What's important is let's commit to pray for lost people. And again, remember this. Prayer is not about changing the heart of God. His heart's in the right place. Prayer is about asking God to change our hearts, to learn to love what he loves. And what we've seen this morning, he loves the lost. So he pursues the lost. So he celebrates when the lost get found. And so you can take this card home with you, put this card in the basket on the table, or if you're saying, you know, I just want to spend some time praying about who this should be in my life. You can take this card home with you. I just want to urge you to bring it back. And here's what we're going to do. We're not going to broadcast the names of who you're praying for all over the place. The only one that's going to see the back of this card is your pastor because I want to partner with you in prayer. I'm looking forward to having a list of a few hundred people that I can work through with you and partner with you in praying for the loss that God has located in your lives. But what we are going to do is we're going to take this side that only has your signature on it. And we're going to staple these up all around the cross up here. And we're going to ask that God might lead some of these folks to himself. I want to keep this in front of us as we pray, as we learn to share the gospel, and as we come toward the first weekend in December, having an opportunity to go out and take a practical gospel-centered gift to them with the hopes that maybe on that Sunday afternoon, after 50 days of praying, that maybe God would do what only God can do and open a door for you to sit down with a loved one, with a friend, a family member, a coworker, to sit down with them and say, hey, I want to introduce you to Jesus, and perhaps God will do what only God can do. He's the shepherd that goes after the lost sheep. He's the one that begins this good work. It's not us. Just remember, he loves your lost friends and family members far more than you ever will. We're just asking him to increase our love. And so again, take this card home with you. Take this card if you want, but please bring it back. If you know 
who that is today. If God has been putting lost people on your mind during this message today, jot them down, stick it. There's a basket at each station. You can stick it in there again. Nobody's going to see that but your pastor. But I want to encourage you. Let's ask God to give us a heart for the lost.